1: Dot com
0: hello welcome to emotional badass where moxie meets mindful i'm nikki eisenhower life coach and psychotherapist and on today's episode i'm discussing roadblocks mistakes shame and opportunity This episode is about roadblocks, shame, mistakes, and opportunity. One of the most powerful teachings that we can learn that will change our lives is that there's opportunity within everything that offers us contrast. That within every single struggle, every single trigger, every disappointment, every hurt, that we can learn, we can grow, and we can ultimately evolve. And you know what contrast is. You feel it all the time. It's all the things that feel like they go against the grain of who we are, that feel like we're swimming upriver. Each contrasting event or person provides us this opportunity to grow. Without integrating this belief, we're at risk of taking life personally. Maybe you've heard the saying life is struggle, but suffering is optional. I'll say it again. Life is struggle, but suffering is optional. This is also one of the four agreements to not take anything personally, and this is why. When we take the struggles of being alive personally, we wind up crafting a story. It's not our healthy part that creates this story. It's our dysfunctional ego parts. These dysfunctional parts look for evidence to prove the story that Everything goes wrong for me. It's harder for me, says the ego. My experience is harder than anyone else's experience. And no one can understand or relate. And then we feel alien. And then we feel isolated. Other than not realizing that we're outcasting ourselves from the human tribe in word. With the story we're creating inside of our heads. The story of the world is against me is why withdrawal from people, from relationships, from the world is one of the official depression symptoms. And I'm pretty sure you can hear it inside of this story. I mean, this story is depression. It is depressing that a whole big wide world is operating against any one person. How could anything be more depressing than walking around with that belief? And because this is a depressing story, because withdrawal made it to depression criteria, as highly sensitive people, we wind up being very confused by this because we wind up not knowing as we heal and grow and evolve, especially if we had dysfunctional families, dysfunctional childhoods, we wind up having no idea the difference between this depressive withdrawal from this awful self-talk story. We don't know the difference between that and owning and understanding that as an introvert or a highly sensitive person that we also healthily can withdraw. But that kind of withdrawal is withdrawing away from sensory overload, And if we're depressed, we certainly feel overloaded sensorarily. So this becomes very confusing, not just for you as a listener, if you're highly sensitive and going, oh gosh, yes, I've been there. I know this. This confused me for a long time, or I'm still in the confusion of this. Because lots of mental health practitioners, all different kinds, the ones who prescribe meds, even the ones who don't and everything in between, really don't know the difference between withdrawing sensorarily and withdrawing due to this depressing story taking hold. And this story is the core of victim mentality. And it is self-torturous. And I'll go so far as to say it's just wrong, as black and white as that sounds, because I believe that we have to get kind of black and white with this part of our ego. We have to be able to look at this part and say, no, this seductive victim story that you want, that looks for proof that these things are against me, It's not useful. It's not helpful. We cannot continue this. This is an emotional boundary. I spent much of my 20s and my early 30s with this self-torturous victim mentality story. And that may be surprising to people that were on the outside, not on my inner circle. Because from the outside looking in, it may not have been evident to the average person that this story hung around me like a thick, poisonous fog. I don't have victim-y energy. I don't speak in a very victimy way. And I never really have, even at my darkest moments. But this story, it's sneaky. And as wave after wave of difficult thing hit me, if something was just more difficult than I first expected, I took that as a wave. If something took more steps than I seemed to have energy for, I looked at that through the lens of I'm just incapable. Life is too hard for me. I can't adult the right way. This story made me see life as the good things being just out of reach, no matter how hard I tried or worked. And I'd tell myself this story, not realizing I was telling myself this story. So I hope by sharing some of this, It can click for some of you that don't look like victims, don't act like victims, and don't like that victim stuff yourself, that you can notice the sneaky ways that it can seep in. Because it's not just for the obvious victim types, y'all, the ones that are kind of whiny and woe is me. Even if those reasons are very, very good, we cannot stay in that state very long and maintain living. I have a hunch that ambitious types, high-functioning types, struggle with this negative, shaming, world-against-me-nothing-works-out story much more than someone who doesn't feel much drive. People who are kind of complacent in a personality way. This is why I use the word seeker so much on the show. Because unless you're a reluctant listener, and ooh, sometimes I wonder how many of you listeners out there are trying to force some of these episodes on people who just don't have the depth for it or who are wildly disinterested in personal development or personal responsibility and just could kind of care less about learning how we can better relate. But if you're not a reluctant listener, then I know that you're a seeker because you're craving something. You're listening. You keep coming back. You're hungry for growth you're hungry for betterment. When you see that something isn't working in your life, you want it to be different. And when it really seems like life is sending struggle after struggle, wave after wave, compounding our stresses, compounding our traumas before we even have a chance to get up and catch our breath, then this is a very, very important lesson that can bring you so much freedom. Because that story of something is wrong with me, the world is out to get me, what's wrong with me? This is where shame secretly lies. So this belief compounds over time and we get so used to it, it gets hard to notice it. That's part of why talk therapy is so useful when it's done well. Because the way that we speak to others and ourselves is not indicative of the things that we keep in our head. And that's what artful therapists and coaches do. We help ask the questions and help pull out the information that help you see where these stories are not serving you so that you can be empowered to change them. This belief that the world is out to get me, I can't do anything right, nothing comes easily to me, is responsible for much depression, addiction, learned helplessness, stuckness, and I believe influences much suicidal ideation and action. I didn't want to teach this as a concept or share with you a personal story that was very surface or light, like spilling something, and we use it as an opportunity to learn that it's easy and simple to clean it up. Now, if you've listened to a lot of the show, you've heard me use that example before, and it is very important to do work on these concepts in in the realm of what's simple and easy, but I wanted to be honest with you about one of the biggest contrasts and struggles that I've had in my life to show you that we really can pull goodness for ourselves, growth, when we look for the growth around the roadblocks and the mistakes. And when we do so, we don't invite shame. We actually disallow shame because we're learning and evolving. And isn't that a big part of who you are, how your personality presents, where your principles and morals reside. One of the biggest contrasts and struggles that I've had is being in healthcare and having licensing boards. Now, I hold two licenses, one in general counseling and the other in addiction. And yes, I'm being vague. If you want to know more specifics, come hang out on Patreon and ask and I'll share. What I've come to believe about boards, and I have interacted with boards from three different states, which is two more states than most professionals will experience in their lives. But a healthcare license is really like a marriage. I am expected to keep this sucker for life with fees and renewals every two years. And just like with my personal, actual two real marriages, now three, I've married Chris. I'd say that I was too young back then. I hadn't yet wrung out enough dysfunction of my childhood and my young adult experience to healthily marry anybody or anything. And in truth, I have felt manipulated by my school because they pushed a licensing route, really without what I would consider informed consent because they pushed licensing boards on me and presented that as the absolute only route to working. And while it's true to be in clinical mental health that is the only route, there's a whole world of coaching that I didn't find till much, much, much later.
1: Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com.
0: I also believe I'm not alone in going through a licensing therapy program and having licensure presented as something that does something for you. So I believe back then when I sort of married my license, I really thought that a license operated more like a union. I thought there would be support for me with this license that I pay for, that I keep up with. There hasn't been support. I first got disillusioned by a board when I was very, very early in my career. And I noticed that the treatment center that I was working for that did very good work with people, but I noticed them starting to move towards doing payment plans with people. And I thought the payment plans that they were setting people up on when they were raw, when they were not thinking clearly, coming off of drugs and alcohol, having either needed to detox when they signed documents or going through detoxification and the transition that it is to lean into sobriety. And we're setting up payment plans that these people had no ability to repay. In retrospect, it felt to me very similarly to when I found out about the housing crisis and the loans that were written that would eventually screw people. I called the board after going to the people that I worked with and kind of getting brushed aside and basically getting told to shut up. And the feedback that they had for me, I thought they would help me or have some kind of process because it was the big national ethics board. They told me I I needed to quit. It was definitely unethical, but I just needed to quit. I was so confused. I was so disappointed. I was so let down. I didn't understand how the ethical person leaving the unethical situation would make the unethical situation better. I thought that was crazy pants. I thought it was negligent. And they basically told me that since I was reporting to them and knew that it was unethical, that from that point forward, if I didn't leave, I was the one with the ethics violation. I knew in that moment that I would eventually work for myself. That was in 2008. My first practice was lanyard therapy that I began in August 2009. And that moment broke my heart. That's what I thought it did. It absolutely broke my heart because I so wanted my profession to feel healthier than I was learning that it was. But when I look back, the growth is knowing and being able to meet contrast now without allowing it to break my heart like it did back then. My heart mended, stronger than it was before, but that contrast was showing me that I am other than, I am different, that this doesn't fit with me. And that contrast pushed me towards what was more of my true self. The gift of learning how to be resilient and how to accept contrast as teacher opens us up. Since that time, I have continued my growth and grown leaps and bounds. I am so happy and proud to share with you that I no longer have to get fire engine lava level mad when there's contrast. Or I don't have to go to the depths of digging a hole of sadness if I'm sad or if my feelings are hurt. Even if someone betrays me, I can feel the feelings without allowing my wounded ego, to create the story that makes me feel like this world is against me. There's an old Atlas quote that I love. I have it on my fridge. Atlas is the guy that holds the world, the statue. It says, you are not Atlas carrying the world. The world is carrying you. I had people in my life, yoga teachers, Lisa, other therapists, colleagues, try to teach me for years that things weren't happening to me they were happening for me and if you hear this from me and it really pisses you off I get it it used to really piss me off too That wasn't really anger though that I was experiencing oh it sure looked like it if you took a picture of it if you heard what was coming out of my mouth you would I all identify anger but anger's the top layer we're animals y'all When animals are hurt in the wild, if you've ever seen a dog hit by a car, we growl, we snarl. Our toughest emotion comes out as a mask to our pain and to our hurt, to our woundedness. And it happens not just physically, but it happens emotionally. That anger I had back then was the mask for how hurt and disappointed that I had gone from one dysfunctional family in my childhood to what felt like a professional dysfunctional family. and now. Those things feel like gifts to me, and that can feel like bullshit if you're in the pain of it, but it's true. I wouldn't change any of those things. That in the moment of them, ooh, I wanted everything about that moment to change, but now wisdom has shown me I can appreciate the contrast, and when I do, that is the best self-care I can do for this body that I have. It's my job to take care of this body. If I don't lean into gratitude for the contrast, I am fighting life every time it's not my way. And that's going to keep a nervous system sick. It's going to keep cortisol pumping in this body. It's going to keep post-traumatic stress symptoms and reactivity and triggering at the forefront, easy to access. It's going to make it easy for this system to panic. In this way, some of our strongest healing is about choice, determined choice. And something shifts like a magic when we start doing this. Because letting go of the story, the world is out to get me, everything's against me. It's just too hard for me. Nobody understands. We start living a different story. We start actually living a different narrative. A narrative that says, hey world, remember you're carrying me and then we feel more supported. And there's a domino effect. Ooh, if we feel a little bit more supported, what happens? Check in with yourself, those of you who listen to the show. Most of you I've never met. If just listening to the show has done something for you, if it's shifted something, if it's helped you feel lighter in any way, then that proves how powerful words are. I don't ask you to just believe me and try this. I ask you to experiment, to try what I'm offering to let go of any semblance of allowing the ego to create this very sneaky victim story where so much of our pain resides. It blocks our healing and it keeps us miserable. I would love to have some feedback. If you try this and it helps you, if you feel a shift, Even if you don't and you're mad at me, I'm a safe person to share that with too. So we would love to have you at our Patreon. Today is the last day of the month when we're recording, and it looks like we're going to (laughs) hit that 250 goal we've had for so long. Thank you all so very much. Now, I don't run the Patreon like a messy kind of social media, all kinds of stuff everywhere, lots of chatter. I don't want it to be a chatter place. I want it to be a place of nuggets. So everything that we put there is not just a fill-up space. It's not a space where we post something every single day. We're not trying to just dump things at you. Everything that we put there has a message and has healing power. So if you want it, it's there for you. We have over 30 exclusive episodes. Every month at the $10 level, I answer your questions. The very next topic is codependency. Come ask me anything. Come be mad at codependency. Whatever you need, you can ask about your own personal story. You can ask about something you've heard me say. You can confront something that you've heard me say. It's kind of a space where anything goes. In terms of asking questions, at least. Come find us at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. Another way to help the show is to get on iTunes and give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Those are the things that work that funky iTunes algorithm and help suggest the show to other people so that they can find out that they're highly sensitive. They are survivors. They're stronger than they feel and they can find this tribe. I want to thank Icy. They say they Googled podcasts for empaths. I'm glad we're showing up in those searches. I recently figured out and discovered I am an empath. Woohoo! I found this podcast and I'm so grateful because I now feel like I have a place to start in understanding this complicated and beautiful journey of understanding and healing. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you found us. I want to thank Isis Yar. They say, thanks, Nikki. I've been working on Mindfully Growing Up, which is helping regulate my emotions. Yes, that is a beautiful sentence. Absolutely. With your help, I can grow emotionally. I am so honored that you are growing with me emotionally. Thank you so much for being here. M Lasseter says, loving it. This is so good and I'm only a few episodes in. I will write another one once I get a little further in. Cool. I can't wait to to read your next comment. Thank you for being here. I want to thank Mama Shack 727 They say thank you for this. I find myself listening to each episode and thinking, oh my goodness, yes. Thank you so much for putting this out there. You're so very welcome. Thank you for taking time out of your busy, busy life to write a review. It really, really, really does help. And I want to thank Suru29. They say amazing. I love this. One episode in and I already feel a bit better. Thank you so much for making this. I'm in awe of how much I relate and how much it opened my eyes to so many things about my anxiety. Thank you, thank you. And side note, I love that you're in the Mile High City. As a Denver native, it makes me so incredibly happy to have someone here doing such amazing work. Oh, yay! I'm growing into my Denver family, so that makes me really happy to hear. Thank you, I'm so happy that I'm here too. Light and love, I'm an emotional badass, you're an emotional badass, and remember, together we're where moxie meets mindful. Bye-bye.
1: dot com.